zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing The Four Seasons, released May 22nd, 1981. It was written and directed by Alan Alda and released by Universal Pictures. In the late 70s, writer-director Alan Alda and producer Martin Bregman signed a three-picture deal with Universal Pictures. The first of these pictures was The Four Seasons, which would also mark Alda's directorial debut. The next two were Sweet Liberty, and A New Life, which actually wound up at Paramount. The story was born from a conversation Alda had with a friend when it occurred to him that a friendship progresses in seasons. And the title is clearly a reference to those friendship seasons and the famous Vivaldi work, which scores the film. Because the film is broken up into the different seasons, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and so are the parts of the song right. that, that play along with each section. Bruce Dern claimed in his autobiography to have auditioned for the part that went to Len Carew. Rejected, he accepted an offer to star in Tattoo, which we'll get to later this season. The film was nominated for four Golden Globes, Best Motion Picture, Actress for Carol Burnett, Actor for Alan Alda, and Screenplay for Alda, losing all four. Yeah, I I just, I don't know what's up with the Golden Globes. Yeah. We start in New York City as couple Nick and Ann Callen, as played by Len Carew and Sandy Dennis, carry packed bags out to the curb. They flag down an approaching car and throw their stuff in the back. In the front seat of the station wagon are Kate and Jack Burroughs, as played by Carol Burnett and our writer-director Alan Alda. Jack starts digging through the luggage they've brought and pulls out a baguette to take a bite. They all take bites from the same baguette for fear of missing out entirely. The Vivaldi music strikes up as the car pulls away from the curb and we see the title The Four Seasons. They pull up in front of a nice brownstone place and another friend, Danny Zimmer, as played by Jack Weston, comes down the steps overloaded with packed bags. The car heads from here to pick up his wife Claudia at her studio. Claudia Zimmer is being played by Rita Moreno. The car pulls out of the city and we cut to inserts of wilderness in the fall. Or is it spring now? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think I, it's spring. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming it's spring because they mentioned the apples. But we start with barren trees. So I thought, yeah. oh, this is definitely autumn. And then we get close-ups of bees on flowers and stuff. And it's like, okay, I guess this is spring. It makes sense to start with spring. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to assume because we finish with yes. winter. And chronologically, <laughs> we move through the seasons chronologically from here. But yeah. first pass viewing... Yeah. Just, I, do, I was unclear. Wouldn't winter be the first season? In January, February? No, because March is the first month of the calendar. <laughs> I still go old school. <laughs> March comes in as a, like a lion? Or as a lion? What is it? What? March comes in as a Richard lion? Richard has lost the thread. A lot. <laughs> March comes in about. as a lion? I think it comes in like a lion, yeah. March comes in like a lion. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't. I've never heard that <laughs> phrase before. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Don't let's I, not. <laughs> I'm just regurgitating. It. That's definitely what yeah, I would call March it. March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. It's an expression. I don't know. 
March goes out like a lamb. <laughs> yeah, it goes out like a lamb, I'm but so comes confused. in like a lion. Anyway, unrelated to what's going on. <laughs> Unless it's March. Is it March? Right now? No. In the film, As we're recording? No, in the film, is this March? I don't know. They don't give us that much information. They pull up to a house on the mountains, and it seems to belong to Nick and Anne because they make mention of a tree they had to chop down in the front yard. So I guess it's a summer home, but they're using it in the spring, so it's a spring home. In the living room, Anne is showing off her vegetable photography, which consists of vegetables being thrown into the air and photographed against the sky before they land. In actuality, these photographs were taken by Alan Alda's wife, Arlene Alda. Do you guys recall the last time that art featured in the film was actually produced by the director's wife? Oh yeah, we just had this. We did not just have this. It was a long time ago. I was trying to think of a film. I was thinking of a film where art featured in the film was produced by another director. Okay, I know that one. You're talking about David Lynch doing the art and yeah. heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Heavenly Dog. There was, was art in that one. There was art in that, but it wasn't produced by the director's wife. Um. This is our tenth film, I believe, or at least somewhere thereabouts my episode numbers are hazy in my head (laughs) well if you can't remember i won't remember all of natalie wood's sculptures from last married couple in america were created by jane cates wife of director gilbert cates Uh. kate tries to recommend galleries to anne for submitting this art have you tried the pegasus gallery in soho yes i just i can't believe that man I just, I t- told him that I had been working on this series, the pictures, for three years. And do you know what he said? He said, three years photographing vegetables. Don't you think that's a little constipated? you believe that? Well, it all depends on the vegetables. Over in the kitchen, the husbands are choking on the smoke that fills the room because Jack and Nick are not super helpful. Danny tries to give them simple instructions, but the two of them are laughing so hard at this mess they're making with these walks that they can't even hear Danny. Walk, W-O-K, of course. In the living room, Kate tries to extend another opportunity to Anne by mentioning that Fortune Magazine, for whom she is a regular contributor, is doing an article on the top 10 executives in the country and they need a photographer for their spread. Again, Anne fumbles the offer because she claims that the two-month time frame is a little rushed for her skill set. You mean of this year? Annie? That's two months from now. Yes, I know that, but I just, uh, I don't work that fast. How are you ever going to get published? You have to move. What's the matter with you? Just do a story on the top ten broccoli in the country. Back in the kitchen, we get to see that magical part of cooking a Chinese dinner in a wok where you throw the noodles in the hot oil and they explode out fully formed. We see them carrying the first course out to the table complete with Chinese beer and chopsticks. Everyone seems to enjoy the meal right away. Jack stands to give a toast to Nick and Anne, the hosts of this particular vacation. It's also, probably not by coincidence, their 21st anniversary, and Jack waxes poetic for a moment, eliciting applause from the table. They start to talk about how they all met, and there seems to be some disagreement. According to Danny's recollection, they all met through him and his dentistry office. Jack thinks that they met through some of his legal work, suggesting he's an attorney of some sort. And finally, Nick mentions his work as an accountant as a possible connection, but Anne corrects that they didn't meet through the men at all. Kate says she met Anne at a Pilates class, 
and they met Claudia at an art exhibition. It's all riveting stuff, and it has a huge <laughs> effect on the story moving forward. Just kidding, none of this matters. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, I'm really struggling with this movie at this point because I don't care. Yeah. I really don't care yeah. about any of this so far, and it doesn't matter, turns out. But also, nothing else that happens really matters. Anne has the most accurate recollection of their first meeting. Uh, we met seven years ago. It was the third week, thank you, the third week in July. And uh, my first appointment with Danny was uh, for a filling. It was um, September the 8th, uh, uh, and it was a Wednesday. How can you remember that? Oh, then I remember things like that because I f- they're important. <laughs> they're or not, Anne. Rain Man. <laughs> yeah. Danny says how they met isn't important. The point is, what truly binds their friendship is fear and panic. Everyone laughs around the table, but I think he's totally serious. The next day, we see the men riding dirt bikes through the woods together. Nick tries to challenge Danny to a race, but he's not interested. He's too terrified he's going to kill himself on this bike. Nick hands him a helmet, and he feels a lot better. Jack catches up to them and officially talks Danny into a race, just as the women walk up to watch them. Jack tips his bike backward, driving over a log, and Nick crashes into a bush steering around him, so Danny is able to skate through over the finish line and win the race. He celebrates, ecstatic, and tears his shirt off like an obese Mia Hamm. (laughs) We cut to later that day, or maybe another day, and all the friends are relaxing on a boat in a lake. It's tipped all the way to one side because Jack Weston is the heaviest of the bunch, and his end is practically submerged. Jack suggests that their next meal could be Indian food, and Nick counters with Indonesian. Again, all very important stuff. Mm. (laughs) Wait, are we still in spring? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Danny suggests an Italian meal, and when Claudia points out that she is Italian and she's had the best Italian food, Danny assures her he can pull it off. Someone asks Nick how his leg is doing after they crashed their bikes, and Anne tells the story of how durable he was on his high school football team. Nick interrupts to draw attention to the sound of the water lapping against the sides of the boat. He raises a toast to their friendships. Jack stands after Nick with another toast to the same friendships because he keeps trying to outdo everything. Mm -hmm. But he feels antsy and he wants to do something special to memorialize the afternoon. I don't want to let this afternoon disappear without something to remember it by. Some memorial of our affection for one another. Yeah, terrific, but just don't wave your arms, okay? This is for all of you. So that we'll never forget this day. Yeah. Predictably, he jumps off the boat into the water and everyone screams like they never could have expected it. Their shock at this action is actually annoying because it's the least interesting thing he could have done besides just sitting back down. It reminds me of that Family Guy cutaway that parodies Dharma and Greg, (laughs) where Dharma's just standing on the coffee table in the middle of the living room. Dharma, come down from there. Wow, I can't get over what a free spirit you are. Nick doesn't like having been one-upped and turns to jump in the water with him. Obnoxiously, on his way into the water, Nick even points out that he's not wearing anything that he's not comfortable getting wet. My only regret is that I'm not wearing my $500 suit. Right around here, I decided I hate all six of these people, and I hate them for the rest of the movie. Well, and Carol Burnett even has a line about the things that they love is this and being rich. Yeah. I was like, wait, you love being rich? I was like, 
uh, I have so much less interest in your characters now. What we know so far is that they are three rich couples who we will learn go on vacations together every three months for their entire lives. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Can't afford one vacation a year, let alone three. And with all these people, who wants that? (laughs) Their idea of a life-changing spontaneous gesture is to jump in a lake wearing clothes they don't mind getting wet. (laughs) They don't even have cell phones yet. It's not like they sacrificed literally anything. Nick goes out of his way to remind us that he's the kind of person who has a $500 suit, but that he's not wearing it in this scene for no reason. (laughs) Why not just have him in the $500 suit to show that he doesn't care? Mm -hmm. The stakes are low because he doesn't care about this outfit, but he has to let us know out loud that even if it were an expensive outfit, he would still be doing this as though that changes anything. Obviously, Danny is left with no choice and falls overboard with his baguette. The whole boat finally straightens out in the water, before Claudia follows, and then Anne and Kate jump in together. Now everyone's in the water. Yeah, we're all in the water. (laughs) Hooray! Later, we see Nick and Jack walking through the woods together. Nick asks Jack about Kate and how their relationship is going. Jack says that it's like any other couple and they have their disagreements and pet peeves, but that they always find their way back to genuine love for each other. Nick informs Jack that he is not happy with Anne and will soon be divorcing her. He admits that he's never felt a genuine love for Anne and that their marriage was one of convenience and it's somehow taken him 20 years to notice this. 21. 21 years, as of yesterday. In reality, he just sounds like a guy who woke up one morning and realized that he was old and his wife was old and he was jealous of people with young wives. Jack doesn't buy that Nick would stay with her for 20 years for no reason and neither do I really. You can't just quit. What 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 are you talking about? What's the matter with you? I want to make a new start. I want a new family. What about your old family? So here Nick has already admitted the truth, that his problem isn't with what he has, but what he doesn't have. Jack is appropriately disgusted and accuses Nick of having the next wife picked out already, but he denies it. I mean, to be fair, his current wife does seem like a person I would not want to be married to. And I I would probably not propose to that person and then marry them and then stay married to them for 20 years first Mm -hmm. that is all a little confusing especially because like i mean i guess maybe because we find out that they have a kid together maybe they stay together for that but they never make that a point of this movie yeah he never he never even suggests that that's why he's doing it he mentions the reason that he married her was she seemed like she would be stable because he was unstable so is the point now that he doesn't want stability anymore? Um, I guess he's just bored. That's that's what I'm really reading from him is that yeah. he's bored with That's his how it reads. And that's a shitty reason to divorce a person. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just bored. I'm yeah. going to go find a new person. Bye. But I feel like settling for stable was also a weird choice because he's wealthy. And like, you don't need to settle for anything if yeah. you're wealthy. You could just be pretty picky i think in real life the character that they set this guy up as would have divorced her a year into their marriage whether or not they had a kid because he doesn't care about her jack gestures to the obvious victim of this situation and nick is offended that jack can't just be happy for him while he's ruining ann's life on a whim i even had this fantasy that you'd handle the divorce that i would handle the divorce in the first place, I'm not a divorce lawyer, and if I if I were, I'd probably represent Anne. I can't believe you would do this. Jack, please. Nick says this is the hardest decision he's ever made, 
which means that it's the guiltiest he's ever felt for doing something selfish. Mm -hmm. That night, everyone is sitting around the living room of the spring house while Danny tells them about the magic of beans. You know, beans are very much misunderstood. They have a complex set of amino acids. (laughs) If you eat beans together with rice, you never have to eat meat. Danny loves to talk about beans. Go ahead, sweetheart. Talk. The idea of two food ingredients together inspires Anne to consider photographing multiple vegetables at once, and the group is understandably disinterested with her pitch. Kate stands up to grab some flyers that she collected advertising sailboats for their next vacation, three months from now, in the summer of the same year. Because this boomer squad has enough disposable income to go on a week-long vacation every 12 weeks. Oh, scratch that. The summer vacation will apparently be two weeks long. Anne is very excited by the pictures of the boat that they'll be renting out, but behind her, Nick is giving Jack obnoxious looks because he knows that Anne will never see this boat in person. (laughs) That evening, it rains on the house, and Jack informs Kate what Nick told him in the woods. Kate's first thought isn't the healthiest suggestion either. Why does he have to leave her? Why can't they fight it out? But the problem here isn't some disagreement between the couple. It's that the guy wants to have sex with other people because he's bored of his wife. Kate and Jack cry together. Vivaldi cranks up again, and we get inserts of a beautiful blue Caribbean water with sea turtles and crabs and shit, and it's summertime, and they're already on their next fucking vacation. What a bunch of assholes. (laughs) Their sailboat is anchored off a small island group, and they're walking up one at a time from the ship. Jack got up early to do some snorkeling, and he found a giant turtle. He tells Kate all about it. They both make mention of some difficulty sleeping last night and blame someone else on the boat, but it's not clear who yet. Danny and Claudia show up next, similarly exhausted. Danny is wearing a full captain's outfit with cap. It sounds like Danny and Claudia didn't get much sleep either, and they blame it on mating calls from the third couple. They all talk about it like they've never heard two people having sex before, and it was the most disturbing thing they've ever experienced. You guys spend like eight weeks a year on vacation with each other. You've never heard each other having sex? You're always staying in the same house for these trips? Yeah. I guess I guess it's slightly different when you're, like, on a boat. But still, I would just be like, oh, that's funny. I heard them having sex last night. Not like, oh, my God, I'm traumatized by having heard two two adults have sex near me. Nick arrives on deck, and he seems well-rested and chipper. Finally, Nick's girlfriend, Ginny Newley, as played by Bess Armstrong, emerges from the boat. Now, why would they feel well-rested? They, got, they should technically <laughs> have had the same amount of sleep. Yeah, but they... they you know, they worked it out and then they slept deeper because they were exhausted. <laughs> this is Anne's replacement, and Nick's new girlfriend is half her age. The men make a plan to lift the anchor and relocate, but then Kate says that that's the reason they're here, because they couldn't raise the anchor yesterday. What does that mean? Were they shipwrecked here because their anchor was stuck? Were they waiting for someone to come rescue them? Um, also, we've, we've seen that they are perfectly willing to swim in that water. Yeah. And the water... Go get the anchor out. Yeah, go get the anchor out. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's the easiest thing to do, to dive down and dislodge an anchor. It's easier than pulling it up from the top of the rope. But they keep keep debating on what is wrong. It's like, just go in and see what's wrong. Like, or or they could at least get down there and and inspect... I could see the bottom of the water from the top. Yeah. I find it incredibly obnoxious that they have an entire vacation revolve around being on a boat and none of them know how to run a boat yeah i mean danny does 
but they got this does anchor he? stuck. Uh, I no, mean, he Nick, seems the Nick does. Oh, Nick does. Okay. Either Danny's way, the one dressed as a captain, though. Correct. Or, I don't, or I don't more care. Like, like the things that they are about to do, none of them actually know how to. Right. I don't know, captain boat, steer boat, run a boat. I don't know yeah. the words. And they can afford to have a person do that for them. Yeah, but they they're not doing it. They are not boaters. Obviously, you are not a boater. Nick says if they all lift the anchor simultaneously, they can probably get it loose from the ocean floor. After the guys leave to the end of the boat, Ginny brags about what a great and accomplished estate planner Nick is, which is the opposite of what we heard from Anne in the spring, who downplayed his professional accomplishments. They're still not having any luck with the anchor, so Nick decides to move the boat directly above it so that the anchor line is perfectly vertical. Nick tells Ginny to put some sunscreen on her nose because it's looking red, and when she digs through her bag, she finds a wrapped present from him. It's Shalimar, a popular French perfume, because I had to look it up. <laughs> Ginny informs Kate and Claudia that he's gotten her a gift every day of the trip so far. I feel like they would know this if they're all on a boat together, but maybe not. Yeah, but also, don't you don't need to tell no. everybody that. That's mm -hmm. real obnoxious. Also, if you haven't left this boat in a few days, are they just hidden all over the place? Have you not worn sunscreen in more than 24 hours? Why didn't you find this already? I think he's placing a new one each day. But it's not growing in his pocket on the boat. He's got to have the gifts already. I'm sure he has luggage that he packed that she was not privy to. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nick starts repositioning the boat, but Danny and Jack's instructions are no use, and they quickly snap the anchor line and break off that front part of the boat where you're supposed to stand and pretend you're flying over the ocean. <laughs> I think it's called the sternum. <laughs> it's just a railing, to be clear. There's a <laughs> it, railing on the front of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Nick asks the men to man the sails as soon as it catches wind, and Jack is knocked overboard by a swinging boom. The rest of the boat's passengers toss him flotation devices, but since he's in no danger of drowning, it looks more like an assault as the floating cushions and life rings bounce off his head. What the hell are you trying to do? Here! Ah! Did you have to look up the word boom? No, I knew boom, but I had to look up life rings. <laughs> because I've always called them life savers because they look like the candy life savers. Life savers. But they're technically called life rings. Yum. Because <laughs> life savers sued them. <laughs> <laughs> they changed their name. <laughs> the object changed the name that the candy was <laughs> yeah, named yeah, after. Yeah. <laughs> the boat is very quickly moving away from Jack, but within a few hundred feet, they run aground because no one is steering. As a result, Jack is able to quickly catch up with the boat. It's fitting that the boat is called Sandivore because it's eating a lot of sand right now. <laughs> like, a, like a herbivore? Yeah, Sandivore. Sandivore. Later, we see them preparing another meal in the crowded interior of the boat, tilted at a 30-degree angle. Danny requests that they keep the salt separate from the food because he doesn't eat it anymore. He doesn't eat salt. Salt is bad for you? I haven't used salt or mucus products for three years, and I feel just great. Who eats mucus? He means cheese and milk. Danny, say what you mean, will you please? You're talking to humans here. Don't worry about it, Danny. This recipe doesn't call for mucus. Danny complains about a sunburn on his nose, and Kate collects a piece of aloe vera to squeeze gelatin from, but accidentally pokes Jack with the spiky part of the plant. Danny has apparently been keeping tabs on every part of their vacation and recites for everyone from his spreadsheet how many dollars each person owes for the trip. 
He tells them that they're all way over budget and they'll have to strike St. Croix from their itinerary. I don't picture us seeing St. Croix unless it floats by. Also, they've damaged this rented boat. Yeah, there's, there's worse problems. That night in bed, Jack and Danny complain to their wives about each other and the jerk that each of them is being on this trip, but both wives are jealous of the attention that Ginny is getting. They're both furious at Nick for bringing her and leaving Anne out in the cold. Suddenly, they can hear the loud moaning of Nick and Ginny having sex on the boat again. Eventually, it's so loud that Jack and Kate can see the humor in it and start laughing to each other. This is probably the most genuine moment from them for the entire film. It's the closest to human beings we will ever see them. Yeah. The next morning, everyone is sleep-deprived again when Jack and Kate start making breakfast. They notice Nick and Ginny are swimming, nude, off the boat. Again, this is treated like the most incredible thing they've ever seen. How dare these two have the audacity to skinny dip on our vacation in the Caribbean? All four members of the clothed couples just stand there and watch them swim around like a bunch of weirdos. Danny tries to explain to the rest of them that it's natural while he stares uncontrollably and the rest of them disagree that being naked in water is a natural thing. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's just skinny dipping. You do that on vacation. You guys are all alone in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to make breakfast. I don't want to look at my friends naked. It makes it hard to have dinner with them later. Why? Why are these people a bunch of prudes? Oh, but I, 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 it just feels so unrealistic that they've done this for 20 years and suddenly like it's all come to a head at this vacation. Yeah. I'm like, how... Why? Why do, why do you guys hang out with each other? I would never go on vacation with yeah. you. <laughs> Sometime later, Nick and Jack are rowing away from the boat in a raft, and they drop the anchor overboard offshore from where their ship is run aground. They instruct Danny to winch the boat out, and I'm not sure why this won't just break the rope again like it did last time, but it doesn't, and they break free from the ground. Or break the... Most sailboats have that long fin that goes down to keep the right. boat you just crack like, that off yeah they say like that's what's wedged in the sand yeah no sooner have they escaped the island than the rope connected to the anchor slips loose from the winch and the boat is floating free into the ocean in an effort to catch up with the boat jack and nick row for one half of one second before diving into the water suspecting they can swim faster than their raft can move which i think is wrong well i i think either way the boat will be moving faster yeah and and are we to assume that this is a second anchor? Yeah, that's what I want to know too. Did they did, did they, they get the other one or or have they now lost two anchors to the same boat? We cut to them sailing sometime later with all the passengers on board, and I have to assume that they've left at least one and possibly two anchors in the water along with the raft that they just ditched. When they pause to relax for a bit, Jack starts musing about what it is that draws people to sailing. I knew it. What? I knew it. What? He only asked us so he could tell us his theory. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, sweetheart, tell us. Why do we love this boat so much? Because it represents our primeval desire to control water. Nobody seems to care what he's talking about because it's not interesting at all. But it's not natural. <laughs> Nick appears from below deck with a plate of Clams Casino. Ginny gets the last shell from the plate, but for some reason it's closed tight. It's a good thing she got that one. But aren't you not supposed to eat the ones that don't open up? Like, th like I was assuming, like, I, I was legit assuming that this was going to lead to food, food poisoning, poisoning and yeah. not where it's actually going. <laughs> when she finally gets it open, it contains another gift from Nick, 
a ring. And at first I thought this was a proposal, but they don't make a big deal of it, so I guess it's just a ring. But then she says she doesn't feel good and goes below deck, so right. maybe. <laughs> food poisoning. Maybe food poisoning. Did she eat the ring? I, did, I wasn't paying attention. Well, she probably <laughs> sucked it clean from all the clam <laughs> juice. Oh, <laughs> Kate pretends to have found something in her clamshell and then pulls out a grain of sand, implying that Jack is a bad gift giver, but Ginny looks offended by the patronizing joke. Nick follows her below deck. Kate has to admit that it's sweet to see Nick and Ginny love each other so much, and Claudia asks, How do you suppose we lost that? We didn't. Just because they're bumping into the furniture and we're not, that doesn't mean that we've lost interest. Jack is actually annoyed by the excessive affection they're showing each other, but Claudia is openly jealous. I want us all to feel like we did before. I want to feel like them. Claudia stands and steps away to the edge of the boat, and Danny joins her. Jack and Kate move to the opposite end of the boat to chat in private. Kate accuses Jack of being jealous of Nick, but it seems to be a projection of her own insecurities because we haven't been given any indication that Jack is interested in Ginny yet. When he points out that she's projecting, she accuses him of being angry and invites him to verbalize his anger, but he denies it. We cut away to see that Danny and Claudia are naked in the water, and we hear Vivaldi again as we see leaves floating in water and autumn arrives. We get lots of trees with orange and red leaves, including one weirdly incongruent shot with a fisheye lens. I don't know why there was just one fisheye lens shot in this batch. Danny is driving everyone up a mountain road and he's swerving all over the lane like a maniac. He claims his car was built for speed and he's in complete control. He notices that his passengers are eating bread in the back seat as they seem to really like doing in this movie. And he freaks out because it's going to ruin the resale value of his car to have crumbs in it. I don't think you volunteer to drive all your friends on vacation if you have cars Rules issue. like this, yeah. Like, I would never expect Richard to drive us anywhere uh, no. over long distances in his car. We do it in my <laughs> dirty car. Yeah, your <laughs> dirty car. <laughs> Sadly, the scene does not end with Danny's Mercedes careening off a cliff. They pull up alongside what looks like a college campus. Sorry, were you going to say? No, it just Richard looked like he was going to add a add, add commentary there. No, I I realize that you're probably right. <laughs> well. Your your car is the no food car. Though. Yeah, he has rules, and that's acceptable. But Our car literally fall. has child feces in it. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> clean your car. <laughs> Look, I don't, if I had time I, I to clean my car, <laughs> I wouldn't have child feces in it. Wait, yeah. that's not a. You're supposed to throw the diapers out. Oh, <laughs> I've been throwing them in <laughs> to the I, car. Okay, I, you know what? I'm gonna say it's okay to have some car rules, like maybe no feces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys, don't poop back there. No pooping in my car. You hurt the resale value. Also, it stinks really terrible. Yeah. They pull up alongside what looks like a college campus. Kate and Jack notice their college student daughter Beth racing toward them, and they give her a big warm hug. She offers to lead them to her friend Lisa, daughter of the divorced Nick and Anne. Beth complains about a professor for a while until she notices Lisa and leads her to the group. Lisa looks very uncomfortable, possibly because her stepmom is here and practically her age, but she might also always be like this. Yeah. After they part ways, Jack and Ginny both tell Nick that Lisa seemed depressed, but he assures them that it's just her metabolism. Whatever that means. Kate announces, as they walk to their hotel, that Anne is also in town this weekend. 
Nick says that Anne might have mentioned something like that, but that she never does anything that she says because she's very unreliable. Ginny tries to stand up for Nick and corroborate Anne's unreliability, but then Claudia gets shitty and points out that Nick said, till death do us part, so he's not super reliable either. Nick doesn't think that this is the disaster that everyone else does. I don't see what the big problem is. We're all adults. Adult is not a word I would apply to any of the seven people that this film revolves around. Claudia manages a half-assed apology for her shitty comment, and Ginny is quick to let her off the hook. When they enter the hotel, Nick finds out at the front counter that Anne has checked in under his reservation. I, I don't think that that... I don't think that she checked in under his reservation. I think that they are confused because they have the same last name. Mm-hmm. But are they checked into the same hotel? No, I think she checked in, and therefore when he gave his last name, they're like, oh, you're already checked in. Oh, okay. But he also has a reservation, so there should be two reservations with the same last name? Correct. Yeah. Does she keep his last name when they yeah. got divorced? I think so. While they all discuss in hushed whispers how to handle the situation, we see Anne coming down the stairs behind them, overhearing everything. They finally notice her, and everyone has warm greetings, except for obviously Ginny, who hangs back for a moment to allow her time with her friends. Nick returns from his conversation with the hotel manager, and he and Anne both claim to be fine. Jack tries to force everyone to confess their true feelings, but nobody else feels up to it. Why are we all pretending we're not embarrassed? Why don't we just say how we feel? I think the answer to this question is that Jack has no reason at all to feel embarrassed, and the fact that he does is a criticism in and of itself. I mean, you can feel uncomfortable, but embarrassed is the wrong word. Yeah. You're saying you're embarrassed on their behalf? I feel uh, like I wish you would just sort of shut up. They all part ways, but Kate and Claudia follow Anne out of the hotel. They ask if she needs to talk, and she admits that she feels very deserted because they don't invite her to things anymore, even though, as we've established earlier, the women were friends before the men. They claim that they couldn't invite her because they'd already invited Nick, which is exactly the problem, but they don't yeah. realize it. Why are you inviting Nick to stuff? Nick is her ex-husband. Invite your friend, yeah. not her ex-husband. Yeah. If Nick is the person who betrayed this friend group, then why are you still hanging out with him? Why did Nick get to keep his spot when he's the one who walked away from his wife? They ask how things are going otherwise, and she admits that she's thrown all her extra time into her work, but it's paid off a bit. She admits to making travel plans for Czechoslovakia because she's trying to be more spontaneous. She also recently bought a snake as a pet. Kate tells Anne that she might have a line on another photography gig, and they agree to meet up soon for lunch and a movie. As Jack and Danny head to their hotel rooms, Jack comments on Nick's embarrassing behavior. Danny mentions, for the first time apparently, that Nick has been cheating on Anne forever, long before the divorce. How could you not know? They even slept at your apartment once. Where was I? You gave him your keys so he could feed your cat and water your plants when you went away for the weekend. Didn't you notice the funny look on the cat's face when you came home? <laughs> Danny admits that he learned some of this information when Nick was gassed out at his office, which is a clear violation of dentist-patient confidentiality. Yeah. yeah. Danny admits that he hates Nick, and he can't stand him, and every time he thinks about him, he gets angry and depressed, and yet they go on vacation with this guy four fucking times a year. Yeah. While his wife cries on a snake. 
Wait, and she also wants to go to Czechoslovakia. No, she doesn't want to go. She to, doesn't. Yeah. She specifically doesn't want to go to Czechoslovakia, so she's going. She's going there against her own will. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that is a good, like, hey, I'm finally free. I'm going to do things I don't want to do. What? <laughs> I don't do enough things that I hate. <laughs> Danny also mentions his general fear of autumn, claiming it gives him psoriasis. Jack assures him he won't die from psoriasis, and Danny wants to know what that's supposed to mean. I'm just trying to comfort you. Don't get paranoid. How come everyone thinks I'm paranoid? You discuss this behind my back, don't you? Which is just the most obvious paranoid joke in the world. But it's played totally straight. Mm -hmm. We cut to Nick and his daughter Lisa. Nick is explaining that as a child, his parents divorced also, and he hated them for it. It sounds like he's trying to relate to her, but it comes across as a man admitting that he knows how painful this would be, and he did it anyway. Yeah. He tells her that she'll be laughing again in no time, and he tells her that her life shouldn't revolve around him as though no consideration for her mother were necessary. She admits that she doesn't have any friends either, since she seems to take after her mother with a distaste for what other people consider fun. Like what? They get drunk and piss off the balconies. What about the girls? I'm talking about the girls. You're kidding me, right? I'm kidding you? You think it's a joke to have to walk home on a clear night with an umbrella? Also, what kind of school is this? I mean, I guess I I never had the college experience of so maybe I maybe this is normal. <laughs> I don't I don't think no. girls pissing off no. of the balcony is a normal thing. Nick asks about a friend she used to have, and she says that her only friend tried to commit suicide and was sent home. Nick is shocked that she didn't tell him about this when it happened, and she's equally surprised that he cares at all, considering the thought he typically reserves for people who aren't him. How long ago was, did this happen? Because are we, like, is she... No idea. Yeah, so, like, I don't feel like they're making it relevant. Like, did did he not care starting when this divorce happened like is he preoccupied with this new person like they're not making these conversations relevant to the plot like has he just always been a shitty dad Mm -hmm. who knows pretty much well i mean i know we've we've had two seasons with them so far but um has have they ever mentioned like other than having kids like anything about their kids nope and we're definitely going to explore this relationship between Nick and his daughter a lot more in the rest of the... Oh, no, just this. This is the last conversation this they have. This is it. <laughs> Everything is resolved yeah. in this scene. <laughs> By they just stop talking to each other. Nick thinks he can magically make her happy and starts shouting at her to smile, which is predictably ineffective. Come on. Here it comes. Here comes the smile. Smile, goddammit! Back in the room, Danny tells Claudia that she should apologize for the terrible things she said to Ginny. Now it's Claudia's turn to project her insecurities on Danny. She blames her Italian genetics for her inability to avoid offending people. Nick and Jack have a conversation in the hotel hallway. Nick can tell Jack is distant and wants to know what he's done to hurt him. Jack tells Nick that he knows all about the cheating and he thinks he was entitled to a confession even though it has literally nothing to do with Jack and is none of his business. Jack says he feels as betrayed as Anne does, which is weird. Like, is he literally attracted to Nick? Because that's a fucking weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. feel more cheated on than your wife, who you cheated on, who you literally cheated on. Yeah, I don't understand why these people talk to each other, let alone hang out for multiple months of the year. We see Kate and her daughter Beth in a hotel room talking about Lisa, the other daughter. 
As children, they were good friends, but Beth can't stand her anymore because she's weird the same way Anne is. Later, in the hotel dining room, Ginny and Jack are playfully fighting over a dessert, which I'm sure is driving Kate crazy, while Danny counts out to the penny how much money everyone owes toward the bill, and despite explicitly calling out the price of everyone's food, he suggests they split the bill three ways, and Nick is so disgusted by this effort that he offers to pay the bill completely. What's the point of going on a vacation if you have to penny pinch for every single thing you do while you're on it? Why not just take one less vacation per year and not be at each other's throats all the time? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I stand behind this complaint because that's a super obnoxious thing for him to do. But I feel like we've established that this is who this guy yeah, is. Yeah, you've known this for 20 years now. Yeah. Stop hanging out with him yeah. if you don't like it. And only split the check three ways if you all ordered similar priced entrees and drinks. And no, that's why he called out what everyone had. Mm. It's because he wants to show so-and-so ate a bunch, so-and-so ate a bunch, I ate very little. Let's all pay the same amount because he wants to look good. But it doesn't make him look good. It makes him look like an asshole. Danny holds up the bill and indicates that the price is equivalent to a scrape, polish, and cleaning at his dentist's office, as if to show how much work he puts in to earn that much money. But really, how long would that appointment take? An hour, an hour and a half? Like two hours tops? Probably took you longer to eat the food than it would for you to pay for it. The three guys argue over who's going to pay this tiny fucking bill for another five minutes like it matters to any of these rich assholes. They're all rich people. We cut to everyone playing soccer outside. Jack collides with Ginny and holds her head for a moment to steady her, but it's all a playful moment, like they're just laughing with each other. Lisa meanders through the game at a snail's pace, never kicking at the ball. Nick finally stops the ball right in front of her, so she can at least get a single kick, and then another shortly after. She's putting, like, Daria-level enthusiasm into kicking this ball. Nick is monopolizing the game, scoring all the goals, and occasionally shoulder-checking Jack to the ground. At the end of the match... Jack full-on tackles Nick into the grass, and we get a reaction shot from Kate that looks like it was supposed to go after Jack was holding Ginny's head. Not here. Yeah. We cut to Jack and Kate's hotel room just after the game, and Jack notices a massive bruise on his knee. After some silence, Jack has determined that Kate is upset with him and tries to discover why. She tells him that she doesn't like that he doesn't act angry when he's angry, which seems like a plus to me. Her second complaint doesn't make any sense to me. I also don't like having to guess your every need when you don't give a damn about mine. I don't like that a lot. As far as I can tell, he's never been upset with her, at least in this film, for not fulfilling his needs. And he asks her point blank what needs of hers he isn't fulfilling. Don't you ever feel like going someplace alone with me? You want to take a vacation without them? I have this perverse desire to be married to one person at a time. I don't know. It excites me. This is the first indication that we've gotten from Kate in the entire film that she doesn't like going on these vacations with their friends. She's one of the ones that plans it. Yeah. Yeah. And later in the film, she will directly contradict this statement. So it feels like this is just a scene where they needed more words, so they're fluffing it up with filler dialogue. You're the one who organizes these trips. And I hate it. Doesn't it ever occur to you that sometimes I'd like to be the one with the sore knee? No. Why do you plan these trips if you hate them? Why haven't you said that once? Why are you jealous of his sore knee? It's not like he didn't let you play soccer. You were in the game. What is she even talking about? Well, I think she's asking to be pampered, you know, to be, you know, everything done for her, which I I don't think is an invalid request, but like she hasn't made the initial ask, so you can't be mad about it yet. 
but it's also i mean she could just as easily have injured herself playing soccer and i wouldn't assume that he wouldn't care we never had a moment so far where she did the equivalent of hurting her knee and he didn't care about it or didn't take care of her and she even said on the summer vacation that he's very considerate he tells her that she's actually really talented at planning these trips and he thinks that she's perfect which of course offends her more then she complains that he doesn't get her flowers, and when he reminds her that, yes, he does get her flowers, she says, yeah, but you don't get them when I want them. It's like, okay, how, do, how am I supposed to know when you want them and when you don't want them? But I'm also not going to tell you when I want them. This is a badly written wife character, and I blame Alan Alda 100%, because he's just making himself look like the good guy in the scene, because none of her complaints make any sense. Yeah. Maybe he brought her a carnation. <laughs> you mean a rose <laughs> she finally admits that when she saw jack tackling nick that she interpreted it as jealousy of his girlfriend instead of what it was which was retaliation for an earlier tackle kate finally admits to the engine at the heart of her anger the heart of this is that you wish you had some blonde nymph adoring you like he does so go on go find one christ how long are you gonna hang on to these fantasies the reality is you're married to a middle-aged woman with a good sense of humor and dry skin. I think this movie would be a lot more interesting if they included a few moments to indicate that he is jealous of Nick or that he was seriously considering trying to steal Ginny away. But because we've never seen that, this whole scene just plays as Kate being crazy and Claudia looks crazy also and it's honestly not fair. I feel bad for Carol Burnett and Rita Moreno that they had to play such poorly written women in this movie. As best I can tell, the only course of action he could take to appease her here would be to say, let's go home and never talk to these people again, or to just go and punch Ginny in the face the next time they see her. This whole argument boils down to two complaints, really. Younger women than her exist, and her husband doesn't shout and throw things when he gets angry. Jack leaves to get some ice, and he bumps into Danny at the ice machine. I think that, in general, she's wanting him to be more attentive to her. I don't think that that's an invalid ask, but to be immediately angry before you've really expressed that is not right. valid. But I also think, show us him being inattentive once earlier in the film, yeah. first of all. And second of all, don't have her say, he's really considerate and he and he thinks of me and does nice things for me. Yeah. And don't have her admit that he gets her flowers, but just not when she wants them. Because that's just a way for Alan Alda to make himself look less like a jerk in the scene. Yeah. Ginny strolls up to collect ice between them because Nick is sore from the soccer game. Obviously, Jack and Danny are here collecting their own ice, and the implication seems to be that collecting ice is a wife's duty, and these two men aren't, aren't getting what they're owed. She kisses both men before returning to Nick with his ice. We get our last bit of Vivaldi to introduce Winter, and we see a snow-covered hill beside a stream. All the same stupid characters agreed to a ski trip three months after their last blow-up, because they're gluttons for punishment. And for some reason, they take Danny's Mercedes again. Yeah. Which absolutely you would not drive this car... In the snow. In the snow. This would be if, a station if, wagon trip. Yeah, if, if you care so much about your car and you're going to take it on those salty, dirty, undercarriage-destroying yeah. roads... Yeah. yeah, and you want the station wagon because it has a bunch of space in the back yeah. for all the snow like, shit you have to yeah, pack. Yeah, like for skis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, they all suck at skiing somehow. Yeah, this whole... Why did you go on a ski trip? <laughs> This whole montage of them just skiing into trees. Yeah. They all went on a boat trip and they don't know how to sail. And then they all went on a ski trip and they don't know how to ski. I don't understand it. 
Nick challenges Jack to a contest on the hill. Nick starts the contest with a mediocre jump, but manages not to fall over at the end. Just like with the dirt bikes, the women just passively watch from the woods because they're barely characters in the film. On his run, Jack hurts himself because of course he does. And it's the most flaily obvious fake fall I've ever seen. We cut from Jack writhing in the snow to an overhead shot of Jack laying across a sled, being pushed across rollers, and then lifted up into a gurney where he's transferred to a doctor's office. I did not understand this. So is this at the is this at the ski hill? This is at the hospital. Okay, but they brought him to the hospital on a sled. Toboggan, but, yeah. but why did the hospital have a specially designed roller and pulley? Because everybody system does that around sleds. <laughs> it's a real popular thing around here to drag in your dead people on sleds. <laughs> the, the tourists love it. Yeah, <laughs> give me the toboggan. Like it just seemed really weird yeah. that it was both on a, like an actual sled and then that they had a system designed to get that person in on a sled. Yeah. <laughs> All six of these idiots came to the doctor appointment together, and when Ginny notices that Nick is also limping, she insists that he get an x-ray as well. We cut to Jack and Nick (laughs) limping. Sorry. That is so obnoxious. Like, hey, Doc, can you also take care of this guy? I know you're already taking care of someone, but I'm going to interrupt that because my boyfriend is limping a little bit. Like, and is this like a two for one? Like, you're going to... You're gonna make an appointment and pay for that too, right? Yeah. No, no, no. It's just it's oh, wait, just put it's it on Canada. His tab. Never mind. It's <laughs> <laughs> We cut to Jack and Nick limping out of the hospital on crutches. Actually, Jack has crutches, Nick has a cane. Uh we yeah, cut to because it's it seems that Jack, although was the original focus, has the lesser injury. Right. Yeah, it seems like Is this Canada? I don't know. I don't remember if they say specifically. We cut to one of those pointless scenes where four people are talking around the dinner table at the same time so that we can't hear what anyone's saying. Jack interrupts them all to suggest that they delve into the uncomfortable subject of Nick leaving his wife for Ginny months ago. Literally nobody has anything to say about this except for Jack, but he keeps trying to bring it up over and over again. He thinks it would be healthy to start another fight and ruin a fourth vacation for some reason. I'd rather have my teeth drilled. I mean, what do you want to open up a big can of worms? Because I thought it was worth it. Forget it. Okay? Yay! I honestly don't know what Jack's trying to do with these conversations. I would guess his intent is to bring up that Nick was cheating on Anne before he met Ginny, but I don't know what good that would do to discuss. I think think Jack's character is that consistently what he's done is he proposes a subject of conversation so that he can dominate that conversation. What? So he wants everyone to talk about Nick so he can bring out his grievances against Nick. Yeah. I I think that they also make it pretty clear over the course of the film that he's very jealous of Nick. And every time Nick does something, he tries to outdo Nick. And so this is his chance to really outdo him by like, look it, I have a successful marriage and this guy's a shitty cheater asshole. And that's all he wants to do is bring that up. Right. But of all the ways he's jealous of him, the one that would make the most sense in this film of being actually jealous of him having a young girlfriend isn't apparently true right later we see kate jack and nick sitting across a couch and nick shows jack the latest issue of fortune magazine for whom kate is a writer apparently some of Anne's photography was featured in this issue and nick is pointing to it as a sign that she's recovering from the trauma he inflicted jack is unimpressed Ginny enters the room with firewood and seems to finally be realizing that she's tethered herself to five elderly people with whom she'll spend months of every year of her life. 
She asks if they can go to the roadhouse down the street, and they reluctantly agree. As they walk out the door, Nick asks, When are you going to forgive me for marrying Ginny, ever? You can do anything you want. Oh, thanks. So apparently they're married already. He divorced his wife nine months ago, and he's already married the new girl. Well, I believe that's what the ring was okay. the indicator they, for. They, they, did, they did like not react like that was a proposal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why she was so upset is because nobody on the boat cared. But even she didn't really react. Like She's like, oh, it's Ring, not like, oh, yes, I'll marry yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> one says yes in the scene. That, that's what would have solidified it for me. Presumably, there was another vacation for a wedding and a honeymoon between their fall vacation and their winter vacation. <laughs> I hope it was a destination wedding. I hope so. I hope they all went. We just didn't see that one for no reason. <laughs> Weirdly, Danny waits until they're just about to the car to finally break and share his thoughts about the whole Nick-Ginny conundrum. He turns to Nick. You want us to level with one another? The truth is we're all mad at you. We love Ginny, but we're upset because Anne isn't here. Why isn't Anne here? Why do you keep inviting this cheating bastard and his daughter-aged girlfriend wife, who both of your wives are jealous of? Wouldn't Ginny be happier spending this time alone with her new husband? Basically what they're upset about is that the group is different. And right. they don't want it to be different. And so they're blaming Nick, who is the cause of the group being different. But they have to just get over it. It would be ha- less different, though, if they brought Anne. <laughs> it, yeah. it would be less different. Also, how about not invite Nick or Anne? Just have the four of them. Like, Or I mean, stop going on vacations with these toxic assholes. Who is that directed towards? You, Richard. <laughs> I was like, I was like, should Danny and Claudia not go on vacation no. with a toxic? Nobody Danny should. Nobody should be going yeah. on vacation. These are all awful people. Kate has to make a joke about how uncomfortable the moment is to remind everyone to get in the car. Is this the fun part? Are we having fun yet? From the first shot of the club, it's clear that the roadhouse is a bust. A guy on the saxophone is mutilating Sinatra's "Strangers in the Night" as a presumably blind and deaf man fiddles away on the piano. Do you guys recall the last time we referenced Sinatra's Strangers in the Night? I knew you were going to ask. Was it the movie that starred Sinatra? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, we've had lots of movies with strangers in nighttime, but that's not what I'm talking about. Which, which, which year was it? That's a clue. You ready? Yeah. 71. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so looking at this list is not going to help me on our website <laughs> no probably <laughs> not it was well no the, i mean the patreon stuff's on there too is it listed on there oh if you're looking at the the full season two list oh okay i don't know it's the omega man i was jokingly going to say the omega man <laughs> yeah but i don't remember strangers in the night in that it I doesn't it's not in that movie oh what <laughs> It's the tape that Charlton Heston puts into his car 8-track player, even though that's not the music that comes out of the Uh, car. You're getting a little too obscure here. They all sit down at a booth in the corner, and Jack practically begs Danny to say something mean about him, and when Danny finally obliges him, he takes it weirdly personally. There's a little party always that that hangs back and judges. You always want to get to the bottom of things, but only so long as you can make the rules. Mm Mm-hmm. I see. It's all right. It's human. (laughs) Okay, fine. I'm human. I don't mind being human. As long as we realize you're human, too. Jack then unloads on Danny for keeping track of the group's finances, and then he starts criticizing Danny for worrying about his own health. Like, that's 
a complaint to have about a person. I mean, and he is like the heavy set character. Right. Like, and he probably should worry. And none mm. of his worries have been inconveniencing anyone else. And he's a doctor. Yeah. He's just personally worried about his own dietary stuff. He's not forcing anybody else to eat things that they don't want. Uh, he also brings up that he's 10 years older than any- everyone else. Right. Um, and he says that someday they'll understand his fear of mortality. He mentions formerly everyday objects that now terrify him and included in this list is the elastic bands of his underwear which kate finds hilarious and she mocks him until he won't speak to the group anymore Ginny is the only one at the table who notices that danny is genuinely offended because the rest of his quote-unquote friends don't even know him as well as a relative stranger does even danny's wife seems completely oblivious that this was a very serious confession from him and sits blankly at the edge of the table with no lines for the entire scene. Yeah, they're just mean. Yeah. They're just Everybody's just so mean in this movie. Ginny drags Danny to the dance floor, and everyone else laughs at their soon-to-be-dead friend. When we get back to the cabin, everyone seems obnoxiously drunk, except for Danny, who just seems depressed. Kate and Ginny head to the kitchen to prepare some coffee, and Ginny informs Kate that she might owe Danny an apology for mocking his sincere fears. I think maybe we owe him an apology. Well, because I laughed at it? Well, yeah. She tells Ginny that when she's older, she'll understand that people mercilessly make fun of their friends until they cry because it's funny. No, you guys aren't really friends. No, you're not. You're just, you're competing with each other. Like, you're just jerks. Ginny gives up advising Kate and finally loses her temper on the group. She says that this is a difficult time in Nick's life, that she wishes they could go through alone, but she's being forced to do it for an audience. She's also frustrated that even now, as Nick's wife, she's not being treated as an individual person, but just another body in the room. It's not as if my privacy was invaded. You all have let me know every single day that I have been intruding on your territory. Ginny gives up on her lecture and goes for a walk in the snow. Nick tries to follow her because he's worried about her. Everyone else tries to talk him back into the cabin because she's an adult woman and she'll be fine until Nick admits that she's pregnant. Of course, Jack's first reaction is that it's super irresponsible of him to get a young woman pregnant, but we learn here that Nick is 43, which isn't even an especially irresponsible age to have children. Nick points out how shitty Jack's being, and Jack still won't admit it. In the morning, dawn is breaking and Ginny still hasn't returned, if I were Ginny and they had taken this long to come looking for me, I would definitely never come back. Yeah. <laughs> Kate confesses to the group that she was reminded by Ginny's departure of all the friends they've lost touch with over the years. She admits that she's terrified of only having her husband at the end of her life. She wants desperately to have other friends around as well. I can't imagine how awful the friends that they lost touch with were. If these are the ones that stuck, but I do sympathize. I can't imagine spending my twilight years with Alan Alda's character in this film. Okay, I'm glad you went with Alan Alda. And <laughs> yeah. like, I can sympathize with not wanting to be with that one person that you're with for the rest of your <laughs> no, life. No, <laughs> no. He's a jerk. And, and it's just funny because earlier in the film she says, I don't want to hang out with all these other people. And now she's like, I desperately want to hang out with all these other people. Yeah. I hate my husband. Ugh. When I get old... I'd like you all to still be there. Okay? Why can't we just let them be? In other words, I'm the problem. Jack tries pointlessly to argue that he's not judgmental and cold when that's all he's been for the whole movie. Jack's temper is starting to show, and he's clapping dishes and teacups down hard on the coffee table. 
Kate reminds him that she wishes he were more violent when he's angry, so he starts destroying everything in the room, and she suddenly realizes what a stupid fucking suggestion that was. <laughs> right? <laughs> he smashes a lamp with a chair, he breaks every dish and cup in the room, he yanks a taxidermied moose head off the wall, and kicks it into a lit fireplace. Danny and Nick finally drag Jack back to the couch. Jack tries to apologize for the complete fucking maniac he just was, and everyone tells him that it's completely normal behavior. Jesus, look what I did. So you freaked out a little. So what? I lost complete control of myself. Yeah. Nobody cares. What a bunch of fucking nightmare people. Nick decides that he's going to look for Ginny, and Jack argues that he should look for her because he's not on crutches. Finally, Danny tells them both to sit the fuck down because they're annoying everyone with their incessant arguments. Danny offers to go as the one man with functional legs in the cabin, unclear why Kate and Claudia can't be bothered to do the job since they're clearly in better shape than Danny is. Claudia doesn't even think she needs rescuing. What do you guys think a pregnant woman is? An invalid? But to be fair, this pregnant woman has been out in freezing cold for four or five hours now. Well, and on top of that, like... I like show that it's not that she's incapable of taking care of herself show that you actually give a damn yeah that's what going to get her is about danny finds her very quickly and calls out to her but as he marches toward her the ground starts cracking underneath him and he realizes that he's halfway across a frozen lake and at this point i was thinking okay well i'm glad somebody has to die danny wouldn't have been my choice but as long as one of them (laughs) dies The dynamic of this friendship needs to change, and this will be the catalyst. This will fix it. He falls through the ice, and he's submerged basically up to his tits in this ice-cold water. He starts screaming for help, and Jenny runs to the cabin to find their friends. The whole group of people rush out to the car to save him. They pull the car out onto the lake, and they take a rope, and they wrap it around Danny in the water, and then tie it to the front of the car so they can pull him out with the vehicle, his own Mercedes. As they back up in the car, he is slowly tugged out of the water, and Ginny performs CPR when he loses consciousness. Danny finally awakens, just in time to watch his Mercedes crack and fall through the ice, and then sink into the lake. He's furious at them for parking it on the water, but they remind him that they just saved his life, so they are allowed to destroy his things. They all walk back to the cabin arguing, the end. Well, okay, so (laughs) let's take this back a moment. So, he falls in the the water right and she runs back to get help and they're far enough away that they take a car they take a car back how long has he been sitting in this water while she had to walk back like 15 20 minutes yeah like i feel like if this is freezing cold water that that has ice on it you are dead by this point yeah especially at his age like he would have had a heart attack or hypothermia immediately i i and then they drive out onto the ice, which is just stupid. <laughs> and I'm really glad that the car sank because I was going to be furious that they drove out onto the ice and there was no consequences right, for that. Yeah. So at least that happened. Yeah. I want like, if it doesn't support Danny, why was it going to support a Mercedes, you idiots? I, I really wanted them to, to be all happy and collecting Danny and then this all of them crack and fall into the ice. I wanted for them to instruct Ginny to to back the car up to pull Danny out of the water and then Ginny sinks under in the car and dies. <laughs> they, they killed the youngest person. The, the pregnant the woman. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, technically not a person. 
but like their rescue was infuriating too. I'm like, guys, if you fall on the ice, don't grab a rope tied to a car. Like you just lay down and scooch out and just grab the guy's arms and pull him out. That's all you had to do. I just thought of another great idea. Let's all four of us crowd around him on the ice right where he just fell through with standing, one person's standing weight. Standing vertically. Standing vertically. Yeah. Let's all of us stand uh, out there at the same time, not just the one person helping him, but everybody. Yeah. The film performed well enough in the box office that a potential sequel was explored. Alan Alda even flew to China for research purposes, apparently expecting the group of friends to get more exotic with their travel plans. <laughs> Jesus, they're still going to go hang out with each other? Eventually, sequel plans were scrapped in favor of a television series adaptation on CBS with the same title and a few of the same actors. The show had to wait on Alda to rap MASH before proceeding, but he reprised the role of Jack Burroughs for only the pilot. It followed Jack Weston's Danny character as he and his wife moved from a hectic New York life to Los Angeles. For whatever reason, the college-aged daughters of Alan Alda and Len Carew's characters moved to L.A. with him, pursuing a career in writing. So it's his friend's daughters so also moved to L.A. and they move in So basically, the only thing that this really had in common was the character. Yeah, names. one character. Yeah, like, like <laughs> Jack Weston as the same character, but the two daughters are now going to become writers in Hollywood. So, so that's not the characters they were in this movie. Yeah, plot-wise, it has zero to do with this movie. And, I, and Rita Moreno wasn't on the show, so it's a new wife. It's also, I feel like this is weirdly similar to A Change of Seasons, like title and plot-wise. Yeah. And the confusion is compounded by the fact that, for whatever reason, Carol Burnett and Shirley MacLaine have always occupied the same space in my brain. Oh, that has not been an issue for me. Well, one's a TV person and one's a movie person, but they're very similar people. No. No? No. You can't see Shirley MacLaine doing everything that Carol Burnett did in this movie? No. I can, because she did it in A Change of Seasons. in this particular movie, but... To be fair, this is the this probably is the only movie I've ever seen Carol Burnett in where she isn't just being like her more over the top Carol Burnett right. show type character. Yeah. Everything else I've ever seen her in, she's really much more like that, which is nothing like Shirley MacLaine to me. Yeah, but this character is exactly like the Shirley MacLaine in A Change of Seasons. Yeah, thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down. <laughs> I re- I really can't stand these people. I know. I, and it, it, the whole the whole experience made me like Alan Alda less. And I like Alan Alda a lot. Yeah. But it's just like this is what you do when you can, when you write and direct and play the character. This is the movie that gets made. That's a, that's a bummer. Like I I don't get the impression that this is supposed to be a statement on the upper class. I I don't think it's supposed to be a satire on these well-to-do people. So that means he's just out of touch? (laughs) I think this movie was literally supposed to connect with people, that people were supposed to watch it and go, this is basically my life and my friends. I I mean, I'd like a perspective from somebody at the time who liked this movie because maybe it just resonated more with people then and wasn't as obnoxious as as it seems now. Yeah. Well, I think the 80s had a different kind of rich person. You had the yuppie kind of rich person where it it wasn't they, they weren't uh like billionaires. They probably weren't even millionaires. Yeah. They you know, they 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 were well off, could afford nice things, nice schools, nice homes, summer homes and things like that. Yeah. But it it wasn't it wasn't quite the 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 same thing that we we associate with people who are wealthy now 
who who yeah. are completely lost like who who believe like you know that that uh that fast food employees are making eighty thousand dollars a year right right like uh I, I feel like the this was i don't want to say an idealistic wealthy like what what people wished they the life the life that people wish they had was Which, that's that's but, even more depressing because these people are awful to each other right no but i think that that's where the the i don't want to say catharsis comes in and that oh look at these people these so people e- all suck. right so even if you have all this like yeah. life is still difficult is right. that what this is about i i mean that's something that i'm trying to apply to this <laughs> I'm not saying that I got that. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm trying to figure out how it was successful. Yeah, well, I feel like if I were picking the title for this movie, it would either be called Boomer the Movie or... First World Problems. Or, yeah, <laughs> or, or Money yeah. Can't Buy Happiness, <laughs> which is like that phrase that rich people trick poor people into believing. Where it's like, oh, really? Because <laughs> money would make me really happy. Because you just went to fucking space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, I don't. I don't even feel like the jobs that they have here are supposed to be like wealthy upper class jobs. I think these are supposed to be just regular person jobs: attorney, you know, estate planner, dentist, dentist. Like they're just supposed to be regular people. But in the 1980s, that meant that you could afford this lavish lifestyle where you went on mm-hmm. multi-month vacations every year. But yeah, that's thumbs down for everybody. Just do you have a letterbox placement? All right, I'm gonna put it at. 54 out of 66. Okay. I have it below just a gigolo, but above Harry's War, because I guess I followed the story a little bit better than Harry's War. I was a little bit more confused about what Harry was upset about, and here at least I followed the complaints, even if they weren't, uh, they were nonsensical. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I have it in 55th out of 66, which is right above Harry's War. (laughs) um and it's just under improper channels there you go because i i liked the cast of improper channels better but they were similarly frustrating characters Uh, i have mine at 47 okay uh and i have mine below earthbound but above hard country all right our writer director here as i said before was alan alda who also plays jack burroughs he was Hawkeye on MASH, filling in for the Donald Sutherland character from the film, which we reviewed last year for our Patreon episode. He's Lester in Crimes and Misdemeanors. He's Ted in Manhattan Murder Mystery. Senator Arnold Vinnick on The West Wing, the final season. He's Uncle Pete on Horace and Pete. He's Bert Spitz in A Marriage Story. And he's Dr. Arthur Amlot on Ray Donovan. He also wrote for the 84 series adapted from this film, as well as 19 episodes of MASH. Cinematographer Victor J. Kemper... He was a DP on Husbands, They Might Be Giants, The Hospital, Dog Day Afternoon, Audrey Rose, Oh God, Magic, and The Jerk. So far on the show, we've seen his work on Night of the Juggler, The Final Countdown, and Xanadu, and he's back later this season for Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. More recently, he DP'd Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Tommy Boy, and Jingle All the Way. Editor Michael Economo was the editor on A Female James Bond Attempt, called S-H-E, Security Hazards Expert. (laughs) Sounds lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Carol Burnett played Kate Burroughs. She's a beloved comedian and longtime host of The Carol Burnett Show. She shows up again in our Patreon Minnesota review of Robert Altman's Health, which posts tomorrow morning. She's back later this season for Choo Choo and the Philly Flash and next season for Annie. More recently, though, she was Cheryl Burnett in Toy Story 4, 
one of the older toys in Bonnie's closet with Bitey White and Carl Rhinoceros. Len Carew played Nick Callan. He's not in as much stuff as the rest of the cast, but he's probably best known for his 235-episode run as Henry Reagan on Blue Bloods, the patriarch of the Blue Blood family. Oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Amazingly, Tom Selleck is still not the oldest person on that show. <laughs> Sandy Dennis played Ann Callan. We covered her work with Jack Lemon in the original Out of Towners for our Patreon listeners last year. My favorite of her works has always been Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And we'll see her again next season in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. That's the whole title? Yeah. Jeez. Rita Moreno played Claudia Zimmer. She's obviously Anita in West Side Story. Louise in Carnal Knowledge. She was Carmela for 780 episodes of The Electric Company. She was Violet Newstead on the TV adaptation of 9 to 5. She was the voice of Carmen Sandiego from yeah. the 90s animated series. Sorry, just for clarification on the where in the world is Carmen Sandiego, was there a standalone animated series? Or are you talking about on the game show, there, there, the, char- the character's voice for the cutaways? No, there was a, there was in, in the 90s, there was a semi-narrative, semi-educational animated series about chasing Carmen Sandiego across the world. Um, separate from the game show. Separate from the game show. The game oh. show was where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. Oh. And I think this one was just where, where is Carmen Sandiego? Where on earth is where Carmen Where on Sandiego? earth is Carmen oh, Sandiego? Oh, okay. I never and, saw that. They and, just rebooted the series. Correct. Uh, and and Rita Moreno is also on the rebooted series. Oh, oh is she? Okay. Oh, that's great. She also apparently has a role in Spielberg's upcoming West Side Story remake, and she recently put her foot in her mouth on the Colbert Late Show by bringing up the controversy surrounding Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights. The film has been criticized by some for its cast of exclusively light-skinned Puerto Rican actors, despite the neighborhood in which the film is set. Rather than simply singing the film's praises, Moreno instead suggested that darker-skinned Puerto Ricans should just be patient and wait for fair representation. Ironically, Moreno also admitted fairly recently that even as a Puerto Rican actress on the set of West Side Story, she was required to artificially darken her skin to play the role. Jack Weston played Danny Zimmer, He was in a couple of Twilight Zones, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, and we saw him recently in an off-the-clock viewing of Cactus Flower, an early Goldie Hawn film. He's in one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. Which one is that? Uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. What's that one about? Uh, Don't spoil it. (laughs) Monsters? Uh, That are due on Maple Street. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God damn it. Uh, No, it's so it's uh, like this one street, power goes out, and it's like the you know the movie Trigger Effect. Nope. Co- What's that about? <laughs> Don't spoil it. Uh, Triggers. So, <laughs> basically, the power goes out, and people start getting really paranoid that other people know what's going on, but they're not telling. And it's all about these neighbors who, all the neighbors who thought they were friends and close, how quickly they turn on each other. So it's like Four Seasons, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> no. Or, no, it's more like the movie Trigger Effect, which you should you should see, which is based on Four Seasons. <laughs> We reviewed his work last year as club owner Benny Murray in Can't Stop the Music, and he reprised the role of Danny Zimmer for the TV series adaptation. His last credit was as Oscar Baldwin in Short Circuit 2. Bess Armstrong played Ginny Newley. She's Catherine Morgan in Jaws 3D. She's Patty Chase, the mom in My So-Called Life. She's Lydia James on One Tree Hill. Julianne Hotschrager in House of Lies, and more recently she is Judge Sobel on Bosch. Elizabeth Alda played Beth Burroughs. 
This was her first film. She reprised the role on the 84 series. She's the actual daughter of writer-director star Alan. Beatrice Alda played Lisa Callan. This was also her first film. She also reprised her role on the 84 series. And she is also Alan's daughter, though plays Nick's daughter in the film. Robert Hitt played the room clerk. Who's the room clerk? The guy at the, the, guy who at got the, the counter? reservation mixed uh, up. Okay. The only other person with a speaking line. Prior to this, he was Ted Christopher in All That Jazz, and he's back later this season as a house buyer in Tattoo and a plainclothes detective in Ragtime. I think that's everything for the four seasons. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. What's that sound? We got one! That's right, it's a new patron, Craig Moran. As a patron, Craig now has access to 20 full-size 70s titles and 16 minisodes from 1980, with a 17th dropping tomorrow morning. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Legend of the Lone Ranger, which IMDb describes like so. The sole surviving Texas Ranger, Clinton Spilsbury, of an ambush arranged by outlaw leader Major Bartholomew Butch Cavendish, Christopher Lloyd, returns to fight back as a great masked western hero, the Lone Ranger. We leave you now with a trailer for The Legend of the Lone Ranger. As America grew along the new frontier, many great legends were told. But no legend was greater than the one that surrounded a man of mystery, a man who began as John Reed. Orphaned in an outlaw raid, raised by Indians, and witness to his brother's murder, he made a bond that lasted a lifetime. I swear to you, Dad, there will be justice in the West. For he rode to fame. To this, my brother. With a mark of a silver bullet. I pledge my life. And a black mask across his face. now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. My old silver! Forceful mask rider of the plains led the fight for law and order. 
Now the truth is told. The mask is lifted. And the man is revealed in the legend of the Lone Ranger. Who is that masked man?